You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Tanya. She's got a fucked up story about an unforeseen death. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Dan, what's going on, man? Oh, I, I crossed a big hurdle this week. Oh, big, okay. big hurdle in my life. L- let me hear about it. All right. So I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick, but <laughs> so I haven't drank for about two years, two, two years plus now. And I think one of the things that drinking really did well for me was help me. Uh, I mean, I can put up with anything. If, if I had beer, I could put anything off for a little bit longer. And one of the things that I ended up putting off for 20 years uh, was going to the dentist. And this week, I went to the dentist, and I logged over five hours in the dentist chair this week. And I probably have about five more to log. Um, and it cost me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. <laughs> and I did a lot of dental work this week, Scott. And I'm still here and... Although it wasn't pleasantly, surprisingly good, um, I made it through. Well, that's the happiest I've ever seen someone for spending (laughs) thousands of dollars and spending hours in the dental chair. So I think that you and I need to celebrate. How does Casey's pizza sound? Yes, let's do it. I can chew on both sides of my mouth now. Let's get some Casey's Pizza. (laughs) All right. Well, Casey's Pizza, for anyone who doesn't know, which is most of the world, is the best pizza you can get at a gas station in the Midwestern United States. So That's a fact. If you like to eat at gas stations, this is so much better than your, you know, the the taquitos or whatever at 7-Eleven that you can pick up. So... Dan, let's do that. I, let's I've do been it. craving it. Actually, I'll be in the suburbs today, and I know I'm going to be close to one, but I'm going for a birthday party for my nephew, and I just know that I'm going to like I'm, I'm going to feel I, I'm going to feel the pull to go to Casey's and get a slice of pizza. But a lot of gravity to Casey's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, Tanya is, is here with us today. Tanya, you are from Europe. Uh, do they have gas station pizza anywhere in Europe? Yes, probably every single place. <laughs> oh, okay. That, but this is a fact I, did, I was going to say, it's a fact I didn't expect. I, I thought that that was a, might be a very American, because uh, you can see Dan and I are very good at, at eating the American diet. I, I wasn't sure if you could <laughs> stop and get a, pizza, a slice of pizza or, or, or anything at a gas station uh, in, in, in Europe. Um, but How ton- often do you eat <laughs> gas station pizza? <laughs> Uh, probably not since I was 16. <laughs> okay. So it's been a while. Yeah. That's, it's been a while. that's probably the, the answer that uh, I should strive to <laughs> <Yeah>. give. Most <laughs> adults would give that answer. But, you know, I, I'm, I have a few vices and uh, that's, that, that one's not 
too terrible, I wouldn't say. So, Tanya, and, and Tanya, I'm, I'm going to forgive me. I know you gave us permission to call you Tanya today because I attempted multiple times to say your name, thought that I had it pretty close, uh, but your response was, just call me Tanya. So, uh, can you tell the audience how, how you actually pronounce it? Just, just I, I like to respect our guests. This is your name. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird since I'm Norwegian. It's <laughs> Tonya. Okay. Tonya, Tonya, I, I I see the I see the <laughs> face you're making. So I'm not going to try again. I appreciate having an alternative. You did do better than most like telephone salespeople. They they completely <laughs> butcher it. It that, is. That's a real low bar, but I'm glad we hit it. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was just going to say you'd be surprised at the amount of telemarketers who pronounce my name wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Tanya, thank you for being here today. Um, in the intro, Dan just read, we said that you're here to talk about an unforeseen death. And I know most deaths, not, not most, but many deaths are unforeseen. Um, and I know that this one is is a pretty traumatic one that has, has changed your life. So thank you for being here and, and willing to share. Can you tell us a little bit about um, who died, what, what the circumstances were? Yes, of course. And uh, first, thank you so much for having me and uh, giving me these, this platform to share on. I think it's mm -hmm. so valuable. Um, yeah, so for me, it was in um, February 2018. So it's actually, we just picked the uh, six-year mark. Wow. And it was my youngest daughter at the time who completely out of the blue passed away. She wasn't sick. She was as healthy as could be. And I was away on a work trip. So all of a sudden, while running around doing my work, I get that call that no mom ever wants to hear. Yeah. Incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I'm so sorry that that happened. And, and how old was your daughter at the time? <clears throat> she was one and a half. Yeah. Wow. Very young. And um, I know that when it comes to death, the death of a child is incomparable. It's just something that no one should ever have to go through. Um, but let's talk, let's go back a little bit further. Let's talk about some of the, the happy stuff. So you said the youngest daughter, youngest of how many, how many children? All right. So right now I'm the mother of four. Okay. Um, when she passed away, I had two girls. Okay. And that was supposed to be it. You know, so they were, um, <laughs> we were a hundred percent sure that was it. We were right. so happy and pleased with like two girls. They were best of friends and you know, you, you plan your whole future with that. Don't you? You, um, yeah. So we had, um, my oldest daughter, she's now, she's 10 this summer. And, um, and then I've had two boys afterwards. Okay. So when you were, had your first child, like, what were the, I know there's a lot of emotion when you have a child, but what were kind of the fears? I know that that's one thing that everybody has is those fears of what it's going to be like to be a parent, uh, the their health and all of that. Uh, was it a scary thing to have children? Well, it, it's scary to be, be a uh, parent. <laughs> I don't know that I was so scared to, to become one. Mm -hmm. um, I've always been like a, quite a tomboy. So I'm 
I used to not be attached to my emotions. I used to like just kind of shove them back and be the tough person. And I didn't really worry about, you know, the dangers that could come. I'm uh, I'm a bit more of a like always been a bit of a daredevil myself and like <laughs> the adrenaline and everything. So so I didn't have that worry. But actually, when our first daughter was born, she was born 10 weeks premature. I was actually in the gym. Me and my husband were in the gym and all of a sudden I started bleeding. So we had rushed to the hospital. Um, so we spent the first six weeks of her life in the hospital. Oh, wow. And the first morning, because they took her straight from me and into an incubator and everything. And, you know, um, and like at, at five o'clock at night, one of the nurses came into me and she goes, I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. It's, um, you know, um, it's, it's, it's bad, but your, your daughter, um, around two o'clock, her, her, her lung just froze up and she couldn't breathe anymore. And I'm thinking, oh, she's dead. <laughs> like what the fuck? Right. And then she goes, but she's okay now. <laughs> Why didn't you leave with that? <laughs> I, I was going to say, oh God, that's gotta be oh so scary. Yeah, so we kind of got like a kind of direct um, introduction to that. And and she had, so that kind of showed us that, okay, parenting can be scary. <laughs> parenting yeah. can be really scary. Um, so we were really happy when our second daughter was born um, almost at term, healthy as could be. So our first daughter, she'd had a couple run-ins at the hospital and different things that had happened. But our second daughter, she she was just healthy. You know, she barely had one cold her whole what, life. What What was the age difference between the two? Two years. Okay. So you've got a two-year-old. You've been through some some scary stuff. A lot of parents go through a lot of scary things. You make it through, and you're like, okay, number two is here. Number two is in you. The two of you can correct. I have zero kids, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I can only imagine that you're – a lot more prepared for that second child and going into it. Did you feel like, okay, this is going to be easier. We know what we're in for. Oh yeah, definitely. And especially since, you know, like I said, the first one was born 10 and a half weeks premature. I wasn't ready at all. I hadn't bought <laughs> anything. <laughs> so I, was, you know, I, I was completely unprepared. So by the second one, we were like, okay, maybe we should, you know, set things up early. And, and like you said, yeah, of course you, you've, You've been through it, even though each child is different and they, you know, have their different ways. Um, once you've had one, you think, you know, how to do the second one. <laughs> well, and that's, I, I like that you said that, like, what was her personality and like, how, how was she compared to her sister at that, at that young age? She was a firecracker. Like she was <laughs> bubbly. Um, and she just adored her older sister. Her older sister, she's always been very like um, mothering with the younger ones. You know, okay. she's, she, she, she's always tried to be like an adult, even when she was like three and a half, which she was at the time when this happened. She was like trying to be the adult in the room. Okay. Whereas um, the youngest who passed away, she was just like fun, just playing and fun and laughing and yeah. Smiling so, all the time. So were they close then? Very close, yeah. Okay. And what does that look like with a 
two-year-old and a newborn and a you know three-year-old and a one-year-old um how what does that relationship look like they would they would play together all the time and as soon as the youngest started kindergarten you know they would go visit each other in the different classes and um and just hang out there at home as soon as they got home they were just running around playing so basically all day they were playing together okay do you have any particular memories of of their interactions that you'd want to share with us i have vivid memories of them laying on the floor rolling around on top of each other we were, i was trying to do a photo shoot of them <laughs> i'm i'm also a photographer <laughs> in my previous life <laughs> and i was trying to take photos of them and i put out like a nice looking blanket and they were just rolling around laughing like could not be serious <laughs> and i have luckily lots of nice photos of them doing that well i can only imagine that that both made it difficult to photograph but also kind of a uh, those got to be great pictures yeah fun to have them rolling around and playing, even even if you might have wanted to rearrange them a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, at you said that she had survived or had had lived to eighteen months. Um, what is an eighteen month old like? I mean, I know they're talking and walking and stuff like that. I, I just don't know how much. So, what is an eighteen month old? What what was she like? Okay, so, well, it's it's very different from child to child, but in her case, she was running around, walking, um, she'd started to talk, mm -hmm. but the, the language is kind of limited, which mm -hmm. means they have a lot of um, emotions, a lot of tempers, because, you know, they don't, they get frustrated, they can't say everything they want to say. So it's like really high highs and really low lows all the time. And it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster, but mm -hmm. they are hilarious because around once they start getting close like close to one and a half that's when really the personality starts to come out yeah and it's i love that age between one and a half and just before and up to two because that's when they really like just every day you just see and get to learn and see them more and more yeah, yeah. i i love being an uncle um and i remember when my first niece was born it was everything was so exciting from day one until forever. When the second one came around, my nephew, sorry, buddy, but I didn't give a shit until you could <laughs> walk and talk and interact. And <laughs> it sounds like she's reaching kind of that, that, that yeah. age at that time. And, oh, yeah. And Definitely. as a mom, I know you've got a bomb bond from the beginning, but when, when they start communicating, that bond mm -hmm. just kind of goes through the roof, at least from my perspective and from my relationship with my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, definitely. And I think it's and, and you've got a point there. I know you're saying talking about nieces and nephews, but there is a difference between mom and dad. Mm -hmm. um, not always. I mean, people, different families have it differently, but it was definitely a case with us. But, you know, he was he's uh, the girls loved my husband as well, like absolutely. But but it's as a mom, you know, you love that all holding them and carrying them and doing all this. And, um, of course I was like, I need to go back to work, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, at that age, like once they're above one and they start like really doing things and you can play with them and it, yeah, it's a very different situation. It, it's special. There, there's not really another way to describe it. And, you know, you, you just said the difference between mom and dads and you carried this child inside of you. It's, yeah it's a bond that has started before you've ever been before you've ever met them. And mm -hmm. 
I just can't imagine that. It's a, a got to be a wonderful experience. Um, so from what I'm hearing, then things things were good. Did, you you had yeah. you didn't have any reason to suspect that there'd be an incident, correct? No, none at all. No, everything was great. It was, you know, I'd, I'd been home. I was working, but I was at home. Um, I'd only ever been one night away from her before. Oh, wow. So it's, it was, I was, we were thinking everything was fine and safe. So that's why I went away on the business trip because there was nothing. She wasn't yeah. sick, nothing. So where'd you go? Like how far away were you from home? Well, Norway is a very mountainous country. So in airline, it's not very far, but it is like if you were to drive, it takes you about 12 hours. I was up in the mountains on the um, on the east side where I was uh, getting in a winter cabin styled and photographed ready for sale. And we live on the on the southwest coast. So it's um, I was flying that distance and that still meant um it's a one-hour flight from where I live to Oslo, and then you have to drive another three hours to get to the cabin. And can you tell me a little bit about the day? And I mean, like, mm -hmm. starting from your first memories of that day. I, I, I'm going to make an assumption that that might be a day that everything from breakfast until um, you at least heard the news is kind of in your head still. Yeah, it's – I – yeah, I I um I actually didn't even have breakfast because I was working, so I was in my work mode, you know. When I just I got up in the morning because I flew up the the day before, so I'd been working all the other day, and you know I knew that the girls had gone to bed. Fine, you know I spoke to my husband, and he said like yeah, you know, and taught. She was running up the stairs with a smile and went to bed no problem. And girls and are home just with dad, is that right? Yes, the girls were home with dad. Mm. so i'd gotten up early in the morning and i was just running around working like i get in the zone and i'm just going um and then the phone rang and it was still early morning but i'd been working for a few hours and i was i was actually annoyed you know it's like you know why are you bothering me i'm working but to my surprise it was my brother who called and all he would say was tanya you need to come home you need to come home as soon as you can. Come home. I said, why? What's your problem? Why? I'm working. It's like, no, no, you have to come home. But he wouldn't tell me anything more. So I hung up and I called my husband straight away. And he picked up straight away. But all I could hear was crying. And I thought, oh my God, what's happened? And I immediately thought it was our oldest daughter. And I sank to the ground and then I could hear him say, Aliyah's dead. And that's our youngest. And I was like, no, no, no. So I kind of bounced to my feet. I'm like, no, 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 this is not possible. And he's like, yeah, you have to come home. You know, they need to do an autopsy. You have to come home. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right, okay, I'm, I'm on my way. So now I was on a mission because in my head, I was thinking if I can just get home, and pick her into my arms, my mama love is going to bring her back to life. And I was like, yes, yeah, that, that's going to work. I just I have to believe in that. So I rushed off to the airport, three hours drive. And I get to the airport, I run inside. 
up to the captors trying to get flight. Go to the first one. No. Second one. No. And it just, it just seems like nobody wants to help me. And everyone's just pulling away. And you know how airports are always crowded. I felt like I was the only one in the building. Finally, I get to uh, the counter and I'm getting more and more desperate. And then I hear myself say, my daughter just died. I need to get home. And I can feel like a piece of me dying because I didn't want to believe in it. You know, I, I hadn't, I told myself that it's not true in order to be on my feet. And now I had to say yes. But I got a flight and then I had to go and wait by the gate. And I guess because I had to say those words, I, I fell to the ground and I kind of started crying. And then I could see, see guards coming towards me. These two men, two men. And they're saying, ma'am, you need to get up. You can't sit here crying. And they were getting ready to toss me out of the airport. But fortunately, one of the ladies who worked at the counter, she, um, at the gate, she was so sweet. She came over and she just gently touched my shoulder and she said, no, no, I'll, I'll watch her. She's okay. So they let me be. And uh, she showed me like, she put me just inside the little rope for the gate, you know? So I was just inside of the, the waiting area, um, which seems like a trivial thing, but it gave me a little bit extra space and it gave me a place to sit. I didn't have to sit on the floor. And then she arranged it so that I would get the first seat on the plane. And I was the first one on the plane. And then she said, as soon as you land, as soon as they pull up to the gate, you go. I'm going to make sure that they know and you just go. Um, so I did that, did that hour flight home. And then, of course, as we land, I run out the doors straight to the taxi. Now, Norwegians are extreme when it comes to cues <laughs> it is yeah you like skipping in queue is almost as bad as murdering someone it's like that is just not 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 allowed and i'm desperate so i'm running out and the queue is long it's massive so I thought, okay if i just go to one of the taxis further back so, nope nope go to the front go to the front and i try finally i tried to go to the front and they're like, no, no. I said, please, please. And then again, I hear myself say, my daughter just died. I need to get home. And then poof, the people just pull away. Nobody says anything. Nobody, you know, but they just move away. And, um, and I get a taxi. I get to the hospital. I run in and I just, I see my husband and he just shakes his head. And I just collapsed in his arms. Of course, I was too late. I'd already done it. So I, then I had to wait another few hours before I would get to see my daughter again and hold her. Wow, Tanya. I, I can't imagine. I say that a lot on the show. <laughs> but being alone and clearly you're in, in shock and at first in denial. And one thing that I was wondering is, do you think there was any benefit for having to say those words before you got there to having to admit it? No, no, it, no, it really wasn't because I had to get home. 
Yeah. Right. I had to put myself in that state to be able to stand on my feet. Like yeah. once I was at the hospital and I was in my husband's arms and we were and, you know, they were it was no chance. You know, they they cut her open like there was no coming back from that. Then I just collapsed and we just cried. And I don't know how long we cried, but we just we would just sit on the floor just crying, you know, getting home in that state like that would have been impossible. Yeah. Mm. And where was your oldest daughter at, at this time? She was at home as well. Um, so she was at home and she actually, because what happened was that my, um, my husband was a bit surprised that she hadn't gotten up in the morning when she normally did. You know, the oldest one had gotten up and not the youngest one. So he went in to, to check on her and he found her dead. But then he tried, of course, to resuscitate her. And he was on the phone and so he he put her on the table on the kitchen table and my daughter's there and she's seeing the whole thing um by that time she already had like death spots on her and you know blood coming out and um he was trying his best and then of course like the the fire department the police officers the ambulances all show up and um my husband got my mom to come over and pick her up so she got to go home at that stage but she that whole that whole section up until the, yeah, up until my mom came, which was after the, 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 the fire department, they, she was there, she saw it. Does she remember? Yeah, she does. Yeah. So after you reunite, you said it was, still some time, a couple hours before you got to see your daughter. Mm. What's going on in the meantime? Nothing. Nothing. We just cried. The whole time we just cried. Like I don't, I know some people, there, there was a priest that tried to talk to us. I told him to just fuck off. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't even come close to me. <laughs> right. um, no, we didn't have space for anything else. We We just cried until until they were done with the autopsy um and then we were led in to see her yeah before that i don't remember like that that space it was just crying well what was it like when you got in there to see her it was the most surreal thing and i i came in and i remember like one of the weirdest thing about it was that as i was looking at her I asked for permission to touch her. Like I asked somebody else who I don't even know for permission to touch my own, my own daughter, you know? And they were like, yeah, yeah, of course you can, you can lift her up. And I lifted her up. And the, the first thing I felt was the staples at the back of her head. Um, that's something I will never forget. Um, but at the same time, just, it was, it was still nice to, be able to sit and hold her. Of course, she's cold and it's it's not the same. Um, they look different, but it was still a beautiful thing to be able to do. And I sat and held her for hours. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you have that. And with as much as I'm struggling sitting here hearing you tell your story, it's only a fraction of what I, you felt that day and I I'm thank you for sharing so many details with us um 
after this point, mm. there's a lot of not so fun stuff that has to happen, mm. to put it lightly. Yeah. Did you have help at this point? I mean, I'd imagine there's contacting funeral places that there's telling ever I mean, oh God, telling everyone. Um, are these responsibilities that you and your husband had to take on yourself? Um, yes and no. Uh, we did have a lot of help, especially from my dad. Um, at, he was the one that like contacted the funeral agency and, um, and helped us a bit, but yeah, you still had to do it. You know, we had to find the songs we wanted to use and set up and plan everything. And it, it's a crazy, crazy situation. Um, one kind of benefit was that it happened in February and it was really cold. So we were actually able to take her home from the, from the hospital and have her at home until the funeral. So we had like a little casket in her crib and I just had the windows open and, and that way I could just sit with her and be with her. And I, um, I, I dressed her in, in her favorite pajamas and I actually put makeup on her. <laughs> it, it sounds like a crazy thing to do, but I did it especially for my other daughter, you know, because she didn't look nice with, with the whole, you know, the spots that you get. So I actually put makeup on her so that she looked like herself. Okay. And then I braided her hair and that way my sister, no, my sister, her sister got to, got to come in and, and say goodbye to her sister in her own bedroom and in, you know, looking the way that she knew her. So it was, that was a beautiful part of it, but of course it's, it's painful, you know, it's, um, and it's, it's like, I really, I'm so, so happy that I did that, that I was the one to, you know, kind of prepare her and, and do that stuff. And, and it's silly, but I, I can't seem to shake it. I, I still to this day regret not changing her nappy <laughs> because the hospital put a nappy on her, you know, and that, that was like, that was weird. But I, I didn't, um, I didn't change that. I left it and just put pajamas on. And it's such a stupid thing because it doesn't matter. Right. But in my head, it's like, why didn't I just do that as well? <laughs> is a nappy, is that, is that a diaper? Yeah. Like, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, thank you. And, and I was going to clarify for the American li listeners also that, <laughs> that the cues are lines. <laughs> I think most of them know that, but it's not a very common word uh, to, to use here. But uh, yeah, my, hus my husband is British, so that's that's why the nappies come in. <laughs> <laughs> OK, OK. Uh, it, it, Tanya, I'm so glad you had that time. I yeah. I, I, it's something I've never heard. I, I don't know if that opportunity is given often in, in the United States or, okay, and you're shaking your head no for, for even Norway. Um, did her sister, you said, you know, you put makeup on her so that her, she'd look better and, and her sister was able to, to see her. Did the older sister spend much time in the same room during those days? No. She didn't spend a lot of time, but she would come and go, you know, yeah. and she would make like little drawings for her um, that she would then like put into the crib. And um, yeah, so she, it was, 
I think it was extremely valuable for her because she she got to have time to take it in. It wasn't and, and you know, where it was in the in the hospital, those rooms, they're not nice. It's not a nice place to go. It's not yeah, it it's hard to to be natural and it's such a difficult thing on its own that for her to be able to experience it in a safe environment, a place where she felt safe. Um, yeah. But she wasn't in there like you know, like I had to dress up in warm clothes and because it was freezing in the room and, you know, and I would just sit and hold her. But um, but she would just come in for a little bit and just just give her a little gift and then leave, you know. Well, that sounds about as peaceful as it could get in a time like that. Yeah. I've got a few more practical questions, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um The death of a, I mean, the death of a child is unexpected in all cases. Um, there was an autopsy very quickly. Um, were the police involved after that? Was there a bigger investigation? Um, were there, yeah. Can you just tell us a little bit about that process too? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, um, I mean, yeah, the hospital, the, the police were involved straight away. Um, it's not usual for a one and a half year old to die, you know, without any reason. They did do the autopsy and they found absolutely nothing. So it's, um, it's been classed as SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, which basically just means they can't find a reason. So they have no clue. My husband was terrified. In initially because he was alone and he was, you know, he was especially scared that I was going to blame him because so, I wasn't home. He was the one supposed to look after them. So straight away, he said to the police, yeah, just do whatever. Just do whatever. Check what you want. I'll answer whatever questions. And um, and so he just, yeah, we just kind of said, yeah, come. they came in. They checked the house. They went around. We just said, like, sure, come in, do whatever you want and just kind of blocked it out. Um, we just, but they were really respectful in the way that they were doing it. So it wasn't, even though they came into our house and were looking around and they were talking to everyone and, and you know, they were doing their job mm-hmm. and, and we were just happy to kind of have our names cleared. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. What was it like? I mean, has, has your husband told you what it was like in, in those in those moments when he first discovered her? Yeah. Um, I think he also went, you know, you have to go for, for flight or, or fight. Right. And for him, he, that's like I said, he was trying to do CPR and everything, even though he knew that he, he knew she was dead, mm-hmm. but he was trying his best because he just had to try. Um, but like I said, he had a lot of fear that I was going to blame him. Yeah. And I think it was like, I've, I've lost my daughter. What if I lose my wife as well? Wow. Um, so I think he went very much to that. He was really scared before I got home. And, you know, and we talked and I said to him clearly, of course, I don't, I don't blame you. Mm. I think something that a lot of humans have in common is blaming themselves for much smaller things than this. Mm. Whenever something goes wrong, I my first 
I, I, I want to take responsibility and I often blame myself and I can tell you things from when I was 12 years old that have had no impact on this world that are still in my brain. Like I can't fucking believe that, you know, and I blame myself and I, I can't imagine um, the healing that he has had to, to go through you, that you've both have, have had to go through. And I do want to get to the, the healing. Um, but one final question I have was when you had your daughter at home yeah and even after having after the funeral and everything did how much did your your oldest understand she we know now that she understood quite a lot but it was actually and this is kind of going into a different topic then but um that was something we worried a lot about, you know, um, for a long time, because even though you can talk to a three and a half year old, you, you still don't know what they're, what they're saying related to what they actually think and experience and what they might think later on. And for her as well, it was extremely difficult to not have a reason, you know, she would, and she would go to, to kindergarten and later into school, you know, and kids ask, and she's mm -hmm. like, I have no answer. And she really struggled with that. Um, we tried straight away to get her therapy. We reached out to, to try and see if we could get someone to just evaluate her. Not that she was having problems, but we wanted to have her checked <laughs> because, you know, we, we, we're just parents, you know, we didn't have any qualifications at the time to be able to see whether she might have some lingering trauma or something that might come up later on. Um, I knew that it's quite normal for kids as well to make up their own stories in their head, you know, and then all of a sudden they blame themselves for what happened because nobody's told them anything else. So, so we tried to get her help and uh, we actually got a letter back saying that we're so sorry to hear that she has lost her sister, but since she's not suicidal, we don't see that, see that she needs any help. So I was like, yeah, that's, and she was three and a half, you know. I am immediately angered by that, but also I, I'll be honest. I'm going to make, I, I'm going to let, try to lighten the mood here with this comment. Um, <laughs> I also like to hear that the United States is the only, not the only place that has to put up with bullshit bureaucracy mm -hmm. and stupid things like that. So I'm sorry you had to go through that, but it makes me feel a little less bad as some of our American healthcare problems that we have today. Um, so first I'm going to commend you for seeking therapy and I'm always incredibly impressed with the resiliency of children. I, there are so many times that I, I don't know how, an adult can get through things and children seem to find a way. And I'm glad that she had supportive parents who looked to do the right things. And that does bring us to the part of healing. Um, so what does healing look like to you? Did you have a therapist at the time or find one afterwards? 
Um, I didn't actually have a therapist. No, um, it was a re in my case, it was actually a requirement because I was, I mean, let's face it, I was not in a good state. So I wasn't able to go back to work straight away. So I can, I went on sick leave and then I was actually required to get a therapist to be on sick leave. But the waiting line is so long that, you know, after six years, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> so, wow. okay. Yeah. So didn't have that. Um, initially, the thing that got me and my husband up in the morning um, was that we had our other daughter, you know, who needed parents. I knew that my other daughter needed a mom. So I knew that I had to get up. I'd make her food, make her breakfast. You know, I had to do all the mom stuff. But I didn't think that I needed to live. Like my life, there was no life there anymore. You know, I had my daughter to look out for and I had my grief. And I was just trying to make things as normal for her as I could and thinking that that was fine. But eventually, um... She kind of first, she was the first one to open my eyes because I caught her suddenly saying about 50 times in one day, are you okay, mom? <laughs> and that made me realize like, okay, crap, this, that's not her job. Look out for me. Right. So then I realized I had to do something. And I, first thing I did was to just kind of physically try to do things to, to change my situation. Cause that was easier. I wasn't giving up on, on things, but I was, and I, um, and I was scared of losing any memories of her. So I started doing courses and reading books on memory retention and that kind of stuff. And I came across a book, um, that spoke about the natural state, emotional state we should be in is happy. And I thought that was really weird. <laughs> I thought you had to do something to become happy. And he said, no, you, you know, in the book, he said, your natural state is happy. And then something happens that makes you really happy or makes you sad. Then I thought, huh, okay, that actually means that I can be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I had an epiphany that I was actually able to grieve and be happy at the same time. So that, that opened the door for me. So then I started digging into personal growth and, um, and I got a coach started getting coaching mm -hmm. and that was really the, the, that was the trigger for me. Like that was the main thing that switched things around, um, getting coaching and then, you know, getting my own coaching certificates and, and getting into it that way because, and that made me also realize that my journey was very long of healing and it could have been a lot shorter, um, with good coaching earlier on, but I, I'm still happy that I've gone through everything I have, you know, it was a long process, but it was, it was a journey I had to do. Can you tell us a little more about the coaching and, and what's that coaching like? What do you work on in coaching? Mm, yeah. So well, coaching can be so many things. Um, for me in that state, it was actually, um, it started off being just, I knew that I was starting to almost get like social anxiety not wanting to go out. So I actually just first joined a, a group coaching just because if I saw somebody online, <laughs> at least that was some kind of social interaction. And I had no clue what coaching was. I had no clue what it was. I just signed up because I needed to see some people. Um, and, and at that point, it was really just a, it's, 
coaching is about identifying what's holding you back in life, right? And finding a way to to find good good ways for you to cope with that. I like to say to change your challenges into empowerment or strengths so that you can create a great life and reach your goals. So very much about knowing what you want and figuring out what you want and how to get there. So where therapy often talks a lot about the past and has you sit there and feel your feelings and, you know, be in it, um, coaching is more future orientated. So you can, you can look at the past, what happened to identify why you are where you are, but then let's look at the future and where we can go. Nice. Okay. Thank you for, for that. That's very helpful. Yeah. And Tanya, you mentioned a book that was very helpful for you. Do you remember the name of that book? I'd, I would like to like put it on our site to make it available to um, our listeners. You know, it actually wasn't a very good book, so I don't remember <laughs> or the author. <laughs> just something, something with that part it of it was resonated. Just that one, it yeah, it was like. that one okay. phrase. Okay. It was that well, one phrase. <laughs> we do not want to share bad uh, books, resources, coaches, anything like that. So uh, understandable. I, I, I appreciate that honesty and that answer. Um, is there anything during this journey that you've learned that you would like to share with the audience? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, I love that question. <laughs> um, well, you know what? For one, when I reflect back on that journey I had through hell, getting home. The one thing that really stands out for me is how much worse it was because people around me didn't know what to do and how to treat me and talk to me. And, you know, and that made me realize um, very early on, I had the same struggles when I got home with everyone I knew as well. Nobody knew how to talk to me or deal with me because we tried to hide from grief and sad stuff. <laughs> um, so I really noticed then that we need to become better at supporting each other. We need to learn how to support someone in grief. So I made it my mission to, to try and be that bridge between people who are grieving and people who can be there to support them. Because it doesn't take a lot. On my journey, there was one person who showed me compassion. And all she did was, you know, gently touch me and tell me, you can sit here. Like, you know, she did simple things and it made a world of difference to me. And um, so, yeah, I, I really, that was like my biggest learning point mm -hmm. that if we can learn to support each other, we can make this journey of healing because I don't say a healing, a journey through grief, because I think that you live with grief for the rest of your life if it's severe. Mm -hmm. But um, but the journey to heal to where the point where you can, can live with it, especially, can be so much shorter and less painful if people know how to talk to you and be around you. Yeah, for sure. That's wonderful advice. And we get a lot of advice for grief on here. Um, too many people have have been through exactly what you have in that people around them don't know how to support them. Mm. And I think we need to make that a movement. We need to make people, death is going to happen to all of us, to everyone around us. And the reaction in the U S is to make somebody food and take it to them. Mm. And 
that is good. But as Allie, who was on the podcast for, for grief, to speak about grief, uh, she said, there's only so many meatloafs or whatever that you, you want and need. And at some point, it's like, well, what the hell can someone, how can someone be there for you? Mm-hmm. And not just be I there for like you, but be there for what you there. need. I feel like there's some synergy there is you have extra meatloaf and you need people to be there for you. <laughs> there's, there's room for a grief party. I think. All right. I, I, some kind of gathering. I think so. So, so Tanya, you're coaching now. Um, uh, how, tell us a little bit about that. Like where can people find you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm doing, I've, I actually, I'm coaching people who, um, who want to get through, their challenges, like maybe through grief, maybe loss, um, to help them to build a new amazing life, you know, because like, like you've said as well before, you know, um, I heard you say it, Scott, that, you know, your future dies in an instance. And, and that's what happens when something traumatic happens in your life and you have to build a new life. So I help people do that. Um, I also have created a online course called Grief Untangled, which is for the supporters. Um, so for anyone who wants to learn, you know, what to say, um, the do's and don'ts <laughs> um, uh, of grief support, then they can um, definitely have a look at that. I do okay. have a, um, I have a free guide if you want to offer that to your listeners. I think they might appreciate it, which Absolutely. is a short version, a quick guide of, of support. Okay. And all of that, uh, is all of that on your website? It is on my website and I'll be happy to send it to you as well. Um, and also I'm found on um, Instagram is the best platform for me, but I'm also okay. on Facebook and it's at Tanya Wynn Jones. So my name in one word. Okay. Perfect. Nobody will be in the show notes. Uh, I was going to say, nobody has to write that down or try to figure out how to spell it. Uh, we <laughs> will share that for you. Um, but Tanya, Thank you so much for being on here today. You've passed the decent fucking human test. We are extraordinarily grateful and humbled and thankful. And I I don't have enough words to throw at you. Um, But thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you've thank you. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And again, like for creating this space. And, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and, and I know, like you say, you've been talking about grief and, I think that the way that you create this space to talk about these difficult stories, but in a very human way (laughs) where, you know, you don't have to sit in the sadness all the time. And I think a lot of people are afraid of talking about grief because they think, well, if I just open up this Pandora's box, then everything is misery. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can talk like we're talking. It doesn't have to be all sad. For sure. Well, we appreciate it. And if it wasn't for, such decent human beings such as yourself, this show would be awful. So thank you. Thank you for being here. I know we, we basically provide the ability for great people to talk at us. And <laughs> occasionally I interrupt and say something stupid. So uh, you're, you, you all are, are the stars. And again, I, I just, I don't even know why people are so willing to come in and share their stories with us, but I'm so thankful that you do. Um, 
Hey, but terrible. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Terrible listeners. Uh, remember that you can follow us on our social media, Instagram and Facebook at Positively Terrible. If you want to get in touch with us via email, you want to be on the show or get the decent fucking human tattoo. Don't do it. Dan always says, don't do that. But I know you want to. Uh, do not listen to Dan. Email us at podcast at Positively Terrible. And as always, this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica's fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right. And that night we got into a Rotterdam fight that I won. I shot you in the face. It was fate. I offered you a spring. You declined. I said, keep it you might decide to change your mind. You did. Positively Terrible is a part of the Terrible Podcast Network.